0: In a world where DC Film Entertainment puts out a movie and Chad doesn't go to see it, we exist. Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am your Shazam loving host, Brian Seawood, and with me this evening is my whoa. good friend and Shazamless co worker. Whoa,
1: whoa, 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 whoa. See, this all sounds like this is slander. This is slander because it's not print, so it's not liable. You're making it sound like I don't like Shazam, but I'm Chad Mintz.
0: Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. So, Chad, the Fury of the Gods received the Fury of the Box Office this weekend. Your thoughts on the arrival of Shazam, the Fury of the Gods?
1: Well, like you said, I have yet to see it, uh, but it's not for a lack of me wanting to see it. I just haven't. Uh, it fell right in the the sweet spot of not being able to see it, uh, but this is in line with what the tracking has been showing us for like the last month that it was going to, you know, it won the weekend, but it only made thirty million dollars, and it looks like it's going to come up um, shorter than the first movie, which was uh, financially a modest su- success, but it was a success relative to its budget. I'm pretty sure this budget is increased, but probably not, you know, insane. But it's it's gonna be enough for people to question uh is is this movie a success? Uh you know, coupling the box office with the reception, you know, it it's it's fresh from Rotten Tomatoes, but it's like a eh and it's got a B plus cinema score. So, you know. It's another in from the people that have seen it one uh, that did the cinema scores. So, you know, it brings everybody to the question is like, well, why? Well, not not the question. Most people are going to jump to the assumption that this movie didn't succeed or is looking like it's not going to succeed because uh, it's from a lame duck franchise. DC's getting rebooted. People know that DC's getting rebooted. Therefore, they did not go out to see it. I think that is a faulty logic. Um, I think mostly because I don't think the general audience knows anything about that. So I think this is more to do with the fact that the first one had a tempered response. People that saw it liked it, but it was not able to grab more people with the sequel. I think that's all it's going to come down to.
0: So the film's fun uh and it's not as it's not as fun as the original but it it's fun it does miss some of the the heart that the first film has but it also doesn't feel like a film that's struggling with the weight of a thousand uh franchises on its back it just it feels like it people like me and you know the machinations of all of these things and we know about the sale to Warner Brothers discovery we know about the transition in DC leadership that is cyclical. Like literally every three to five years, they're getting new, new leadership. Um, we know these things when, you know, those things and you watch that film, it's like, you can see the weight of those management changes and uncertainty about things, um, in the film. um, there's a cameo in there that would have greatly excited folks in another universe, but in this current universe, it's kind of like, oh, that's nice. Never see well, that paid off
1: um well if but, so if it's the the cameo, I think it is, it's all in the TV marketing like I saw it before the movie came out, like on my television, so that should that should tell you what the people marketing this thing thought. you're like. We gotta put butts in. Well, seat. that's
0: my problem. That's that's my problem. I don't think there was marketing. I don't think that they marketed this thing as well as they could have. It felt like it was kind of just dropped. And like there was no I didn't see any real anticipation. I saw more anticipation in Buzz for John Wick 4 in the last month than I had for Shazam Fury of the Gods. And like for a sequel to a successful superhero film film uh, film you would really hope that you would be growing your audience growing your anticipation but instead it just kind of looks like the studio punted on it it looks like some of the promotional department punted on it and it it kind of is just like a film that exists whereas it could have been something much more than that
1: so that that makes me wonder <laughs> So I guess someone asked um, um the director that I am forgetting his name, but I remember his Twitter handle because I'm Sandberg. For David Sandberg. I think somebody asked him about this on Twitter, and his response was pretty much um, you know, that we knew this was coming for a while. And basically he would follow him for as long as I have. I, I know he's kind of like he's very sarcastic. And he says, you know, well, I'm fine. Uh, I got, I got all my money up front, but but implying that they that he knew, and I'm assuming every other uh, her management person knew that what the tracking was, and that this is about where they were going to end up. And I don't I, like. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if that's like. like does he know that you know they kind of the the they kind of did like do a, soft, a softer marketing ploy with this and we're ready to cut their losses with it. Or did he just like, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it.
0: It feels like a film that he worked very hard on to try and please a lot of people. Uh, was that, was that famous phrase Ben Affleck used about, uh, about, uh, justice league, the very interesting product of two directors, um this film very much feels like the very interesting product of multiple destinations like it it feels like the movie was originally written in a time where it was going to be a shazam sequel that was going to start working toward a black adam shazam superman movie and that that was expanding uh, shazam's role in the larger cinematic universe was the way that they were going and it kind of seems like midway through either shooting or, or the scripting or both um that things started to the ground started to shift beneath their feet and they tried to zig with the with the zag that was going on and doesn't quite work and the film suffers for it. Uh, I don't think Zachary Levi and his questionable comments of late have anything to do with the reaction to this film. I don't think that the DC universe is changing hands from. Uh, James Gunn uh, from uh, Rollercoaster Man to uh, James Gunn has anything to to do with this. I just think that everybody involved it, Flash gets what Flash gets because it's the Flash and also because it's going to reset everything. And there's a reason that Gunn goes out of his way to talk about that movie in a positive light. It's not just that it may be a good or bad movie. It's that that movie resetting things behooves him and behooves Warner Brothers. And with this, it's just, it. after Black Adam fell flat, this movie just kind of felt like a punt, a puntable situation, where it could get lost in the shuffle very easily. People wouldn't really notice. Warner Brothers would agree to take their bath because they couldn't just shuttle it on HBO Max. And, and we move on, and I think that, you know, after the original, you never would have dreamed this is where the sequel would end up.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> dang, well, oh, well, one thing I do know, um, speaking of The Flash rebooting and things, uh, and how all of that plays into this movie, this movie was supposed to come out after The Flash, and Sandberg has even said that this, like, they've done, like, they did little things, like, as a nod, well, not as a nod, but it's reflected on what happens in The Flash. like. Um, the whole, the reason their costumes are slightly different from my understanding of what I've seen is that Sam Burke has pretty much said that, you know, they changed because, you know, the flash happened and there were changes to the universe. So this was their way to reflect that a little thing, a little changes to their uniform, but, uh, it was supposed to be a thing from the flash. I mean, is it a big thing that it came up before the flash? No, because I'm pretty sure that uniform change doesn't make a difference. But uh if the in the filmmaker's mind, this is what they're gonna do, and then everything changes and they just have to react on it. Like a little thing like that for the flash doesn't mean anything. But if there were other changes or they started feeling other things from other movies, like you were saying with Black Adam, or they're making this, then you can, you know that might be where you start getting the, the things well, that you feel for the movie.
0: The black Adam thing impacts the studio's desire to market the sequel because they pump, they mean you can both agree that Warner's put a full fledged marketing campaign behind black Adam. Like they gave black Adam everything they had last fall. And then they got what they got in terms of box office and critical reception and i think that that just left them feeling like they didn't care like you know we'll put all our eggs in the flash basket in the middle of june and michael keaton returning as batman and ben affleck being in the film for five minutes and go from there and that's where Gunn has been focusing his rhetoric and his talk and you know it just kind of seems like flash ended or uh shazam ended up being the forgotten stepchild and i think that's unfortunate again for what that that movie in this series could have been
1: right uh, i think i don't want to go too deep into to shazam because we, we we have some time to do that but i have seen um people online complain about you know that these are original villains to the movie and how that might be a detriment to the movie and largely i want to say it doesn't matter most people don't know who shazam is they don't know who his villains are Again, we're talking about the general audience. The general audience is what has not come out to this movie, not fans. However, um, if if the direction were different and we actually would have got Shazam and Black Adam in a movie, like, say, this movie, uh, I think it would have worked better for both.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of the, the post-mortem that you hear on this is basically... Well, if if you take out the the superheat super uh, Superman cameo at the end of Shazam, and make it Black Adam, and then Black Adam gets his own movie, and then instead of being making up a villain for Shazam two, you you make the villain of Shazam two uh, Black Adam, then you have a team up movie and a big bigger thing to sell. And I get that. I think that the fa- the fans and the folks online who are complaining about. Um, the sisters, you know, being in it and being original villains made out of the whole cloth. I think they're just complaining because they didn't get Caterpillar Dude, and they were promised Caterpillar Dude at the end of the last one, and and they didn't get him, and so they're frustrated because they they aren't getting the sequel they hoped for.
1: Look, I I love Sam. I know who Shazam was for a long time. I know who Mister Mind is again most people don't and the whole conceit of mr mind he's a space caterpillar that talks through a radio box technology that doesn't even exist anymore because it's an old school like 1930s radio box shrunken down him being in or out being the main villain of this movie probably is more of a detriment to this movie and shazam is the first movie that came out you know, had the same reception and it built on it with this one. And everybody was more, got more familiar. Money went up. People knew who he was. Then you can do something ridiculous like Mr. Mine. I, I mean, the, I, I just think the whole thing of people not, the, the, the villains being new, not using existing Shazam villains outside of Black Adam, I don't think any of them moved the needle enough uh, on this fledgling fr- franchise. I think if they would have had a Black Adam, uh, just from the fact that they look similar and one is the Rock, it probably would help both movies do whatever. Uh, at least putting those together, uh, probably you probably have a better chance of getting sequels from both than now, neither one of them.
0: Yeah, but even if that had been the case, this doesn't seem like a thing that Saffron and Gunn would want to follow on with. Like Gunn isn't following on with very much from the current iteration he's basically doing a whole reboot even even in amongst like labeling certain things as elseworld stories like unless it was doing really 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 successful numbers I can't really see them taking the Shazam corner of the universe and doing like it's one thing for Batman to have his own corner of the universe because he's freaking Batman and you just started down this road with Robert Pattinson And the movie made a whole bunch of money last March it's another thing to do that with Shazam and I just even if this thing was a model it's a success I couldn't really see Gunn and Saffron, you know continue giving it its own quarter and letting Sandberg play in his sandbox but now I'm glad this man will be able to go back to horror and do whatever
1: he wants yeah it's (laughs) It's just unfortunate. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I feel excited to see it. I'm pretty sure I'm going to like it when I see it. And I'll probably be disappointed that, um,
0: it's a fun film. And I'm disappointed that we won't get more or different, but I just, I can't in good conscience sit here and go, I can't believe this movie sucked. It, it, it doesn't suck. It just, you feel the standard weight of expectations and it, the film film looks like it's being pulled in five different directions.
1: Yeah, I I'll have more to say when I when I see it, but uh, it's just now we're gonna have to deal with the people saying like we're gonna have to deal with people talking about pe- this was a, a you know a sacrifice of the new DCU coming in and and whatever whatever side you're on with that we'll have to listen well, to the here's,
0: here's my thing. My thing is if they don't do if they don't do the hard reboot. Let's just say that they kept Roller Coaster Man in charge, and we were just dealing with the ownership change of uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. I don't think that the the marketing campaign and the assets and the resources allocated to making this film successful would have been any different. I really think that the leadership, the brass at Warner Brothers Discovery punted on the Shazam franchise as a whole after the failure of Blackout. And I think they wanted to make Black Adam a huge thing. I think they saw The Rock as a much more marketable face and superstar for your marquee than Zachary Levi ever would be. And they saw a possibility of bringing in Cavill in and and doing all these things. And so they were hopeful. And then I think the reaction in box office of Black Adam just bottomed them out. And I, I think that even outside of gun and saffron, I think that we'd be in the same place this week if they hadn't been announced as the new heads of
1: uh, heads of DC Studios. I mean, you're probably right.: it, I, Well, if it was roller Coaster man, I just I don't think we'd have been here in the first place because uh, he would have done something stupid to even get to this point. But uh, we're, we're, we're with off, and he's a bean counter. And yeah, they might have just been like, you know, made the call. They might have made the call months ago that like, we're just going to cut our losses. Hopefully it does some kind of business, and we won't let it negatively impact the people we're working with here. And, and then you have Levi popping off on Twitter, and they can point and say, it's his fault, even though you and I don't believe that he moves the needle enough to impact the box office
0: yeah i don't think enough people know of that whole controversy and and think again it's we live in a bubble chad me and you live in a bubble where we know all this stuff it, it's it's very much like the wrestling thing like you know the difference between a wrestling mark and a just a casual wrestling fan like it, it it's we have to remember that joe public doesn't have all this information and doesn't view it through that lens the way that we do. And and I think it's hard sometimes.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, it's the course of business right now.
0: I mean, let's talk about the other major announcement out of DC this week. Although it was not a surprise to me, you, or Paul Revere, or Mark Sanchez for that matter, avid hockey fan Mark Sanchez. Um your thoughts, sir, on James Gunn officially becoming the new director of the Superman with the Superman coffee mug and everything.
1: <laughs> okay, so I have uh, a couple of opinions on this. I will do, you know, the big one first, because, you know, everybody knows Superman is my guy. Uh, so I when I heard James was writing in the script, you know, I got happy, I got excited, because I've seen, you know, I've seen his work in Guardians. Um, I've seen his work in other things and i and the way he talked about Superman it seemed like okay, the pivot we're, we're pivoting it seems like to a Superman that I think is more appropriate for everybody as Superman I think everyone will like, and that I still want to see and i i was so I was happy with that decision. I was always on the fence about wanting him to direct because I know James has a certain sensibility about him when he directs, and i didn't I don't know how. It wouldn't have been my first choice for him directing a Superman movie. When we got the rumors years ago that he was for Superman, I was like, eh, I don't know if he's the right guy to do. So there's still some of that hesit- hesitancy on my part, but listening to him when he, on his tweet that announced it, um, he talked about how he doesn't always direct things that he writes and we, but when he directs, he wants to be really excited about it. He really, really likes the script. And he's really, really excited about it. And that got me excited because I, I do know of nothing else. If he's excited and passionate about it, he's going to bring his all to it. And again, he's talked about Superman in a way where I think he understands the character. I think he understands what's been missing from the character. Uh, and I think he he has an idea for how to pull it off. And at this point, that's all we can kind of ask for. So, yeah, we all kind of knew that he was going to direct it. but. It wasn't it wasn't uh you know said until he made the announcement. And I really don't think he would have made this announcement until after Guardians. If uh, who was it? Like uh who's who said it? Oh, it was Tom King. Tom, if Tom King hadn't let the cat out of the bag, I don't think he would have done it now. So that's one opinion. My other opinion is what I always have a problem with is what I've always had a problem with with gun being co studio head, is that he is co-studio head, and now he's writing and directing what is going to be arguably their biggest film for the new regime of the DCU. Like, if Superman doesn't work, nothing else works. So I understand wanting to take that on. I understand the passion he has behind it, but he's also a, he's a studio head. Now, I know that we've had, like, uh, Spielberg when Spielberg made... DreamWorks this is kind of a similar situation but when I I just think about how people can conceive this as a conflict of interest like he's holding the purse strings and he's also you know making movies himself so people the 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 look of impropriety could be something that that factors in here I don't think it will be a problem but if I had a choice I would rather avoid that than not. But, you know, James is a good filmmaker. He's saying all the right things. I really do believe he believes in this script. So, you know, and and it seemed like Saffron really wanted him to do it. I'm sure it's David Zasloff really wanted him to do it. So go ahead and do it. Um, And the only other thing about that is the Guardian movies so far to date have been very successful. His one DC outing so far, theatrically has not. Granted, it was during the pandemic. I don't know what the streaming numbers were, but if you're uh, uh, if you're wary of this move, you can point to that movie, uh, The Suicide Squad, and be like, ah, "Why are we really doing this guy?" Even though I can counter with, well, The Guardians and Peacemaker was highly received, and he did that after The Suicide Squad, so. Those are kind of my thoughts floating around about James doing this, doing the big guy.
0: So here's my thing. And this is, you know, you and I also know football. There's a, there was a great coach once. His name was Bill Parcells. And, and what did Bill Parcells, when he went to go be head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, tell, tell Jerry Jones?
1: What, what did he tell him? I don't remember.
0: He, he told him, and I quote, Jerry, if you're going to hire me to be the head coach, and be the the chef of this team, then you've got to let me shop for the groceries. Mm. And that meant that you're not just going to hire me to be the head coach. You're going to hire me and give me player personnel control, which was something that Jerry had been reluctant to give up for, you know, a number of years since Jimmy Johnson had, had been forced out. I feel the kind of the same way with James Gunn. James Gunn here is betting on himself. He is the he is the head coach and the general manager of the DC Cinematic Universe. He, the future of which will ride on the success or failure of this Superman movie. Why would he farm it out to anyone else when he can put that on his back and let it, and make his own fortunes, whatever they're going to be? Like he's not leaving this to the chance of you know Robert Rodriguez. He's not leaving this to the chance of J.J. Abrams. He's leaving this to him like he's going to take this on and it's going to be a challenge and he's going to write and he's going to direct. And if it succeeds, it's wonderful. It gets them on the right footing and they can head off on whatever direction they want to head off on. And if it fails and failure is an interesting standard when it comes to Superman, 10, 12 years after Man of Steel, um, you know then it's on him. The, you know, The head coach and the quarterback take all the credit for victories, and they take too much blame for losses. And in this case, he's just made himself the figurehead for this movie and for this franchise as a whole. And he's going to give himself all the budget he needs. He's going to make the bold choice about who he wants to be Superman in this universe, which will be a hugely controversial decision when he makes it, because it's always controversial. And why would you want to give those keys to someone else to make those decisions for you? It's like, it's like giving someone else the ax and telling them to chop your head off. Like it, it, you know, good luck, you know? So I would rather James Gunn do this and fortune favor the bold and go and and do this himself. than hand this off to another director and say, and say, here's my script cast. Whoever you want. Have a nice day. I'll just sit here and, you know, pull the trigger and hope that I don't come up roulette.
1: So I agree. I pretty much agree. But the difference is because of James's unique position, yeah, yes, he could he could have given it to somebody else. But like you said, why would he? Because he he can do it himself. But in the position he's in, he's gonna be there making the like, yeah, the director can pick and do these things, but I mean, he's still got to get he still got to get James' stamp. You're picking Superman, and James is pretty much, I mean, it seems like from everything he said, Superman is like the lynchpin, the figurehead of this universe. Even if he didn't direct it, he's having a hand on who we're getting to do this. And you know, therein lies what, where people criticize him, it Was like, well, uh, you know, we, we, want, we, Directors want their freedom to do things. James has even talked about himself wanting his freedom to do things, but he's going to have his fingers all over the, all over doing the Superman movie. And then, you know, say, as I'm saying all that, it, it kind of makes sense for him to do it. Cause then it's like, well, I'm not interfering with anybody else. I'm the one that's doing it. So, I mean, I see, I can see that part. Um, if I draft a quarterback,
0: my like my career, my time as a head coach is defined by the success or failure of that quarterback. Right. Just 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 go ask Josh McDaniels. You trade up into the first round to draft Tim Tebow, and and the re- and that determines your success or failure as a head coach of the Denver Broncos. Like, you know, you're judged by those decisions that you made. So the question to me becomes. Would you rather farm those decisions out to someone else to let them take the heat, to let them take the front of it, or would you rather draft your own quarterback, coach him up, make sure that he's ready to go and have, a, instead of overlooking and quote-unquote shadowing someone and having the rumors float around that you're ghost directing, why not just do it yourself? And that way, you draft your quarterback. He's running your offense that is run by your offensive coordinator, and your, you know, and y'all's success or failure is ride or die together. And if it don't work, because like you said, in his version of the DC cinematic universe, everything rides on Superman. Well, if my entire reputation as a filmmaker and as a studio head and as a studio and a, a entity as a whole. Is determinative of what happens with this movie. I would rather do it myself than overlook, you know, or, or even rubber stamp somebody else's decisions.
1: Yeah, that is because
0: ultimately, at the end of the day, they're going to reflect on James.
1: Correct. Correct. So yeah, I, I mean, I get it. I get it, and I think, I think it's a you know, I brought it up, but I think it's a small thing to quibble with. I only bring it up because I've you know, in some of these. Hollywood trades and uh and social media sites um people that won't put their name on it have said that they have have expressed their uh hesitance about the the new DC structure most because James Gunn is a director and they think uh no director is going to want to work for another director uh and that that's that's why i bring it up it's, especially on the heels of um affleck interview they, it, there seems to be a little steam to that but at the end of the day it, like he's if he wasn't writing it it would be i can it would be different i wouldn't have him direct movies but that's me but he's oh, no written, i it, he's
0: I, I wouldn't in a perfect and ideal world he would choose the young up-and-coming talent the young up-and-coming talent would be assigned a superhero or a a comic book property in the DC universe and told to go away and pitch ideas and then come back and give those, pitch those ideas to them. And they decide which ones they want to lead the creative process. That's how Marvel does theirs. Marvel gives you an outline. You go and you, you tinker with it and you make it your own. And then you come back in and you pitch it to them. Like, you know, I'd much rather gun, find young talent, develop young talent, let them, the ones to shepherd and create this this uh this new universe but again it's very hard for me to see the guy who's just signed a you know 400 million dollar contract to ask somebody else to determine whether they are a success or failure at keeping that that job that's paying them 400 million dollars and as far as like a director not like putting pressure on another director like there, there are numerous examples of writers that have written scripts that have clashed with directors and the directors have clashed with the writers that's the thing that has always happened in hollywood creative differences are a very real thing um so i mean i just i don't buy that i just i think this is a case of they didn't want to farm it out to anybody else they wanted to take it on themselves and and yes like you said in a perfect world i'd rather james just be Head of DC Studios and go make horror movies rather than uh, rather than doing what he's doing, but that's but that's the the pretty much from the time he announced this is what we thought was going to happen. So yeah. So Chad Bob Iger had some things to say. Um, your thoughts, sir, on Solo being run over by a bus, then having the bus backed up and then having the bus set itself on fire and then run over Solo again just to make sure that it was completely, totally toasted.
1: so, So this one is new to me. I actually don't know what he said about Solo.
0: He said that one of the reasons they are going to be very, very, very careful about Star Wars on the big screen going forward, and one of the reasons that Kathleen Kennedy is being very careful about it and they axed kevin feige star wars movie and they axed rogue squadron officially and they're going they're going to celebration and people don't really know whether they're going to announce the 2025 movie or if the 2025 movie is even still happening he was at an event and he's basically said they're being very very careful about it because they're in a situation where they don't want to get into another solo where the balloon the production got messy and the budget ballooned, and it cost them a lot of money, is basically what he said.
1: I mean, that is a very (sighs) judicious reading of what happened. Uh, I can't you know, can't quibble with much of what he said. Uh, I I mean, I know like, I know people are going to people, anytime he's going to say anything like that, people are going to want to read into it and probably read the worst things into it, but (laughs) You know, solo is what it is. It 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 happened how it happened. Most of us have no idea what happened, and we can only speculate. I mean, I really like between that and and everything that happened with Zach between the the release of Batman versus Superman until Justice League. I want those stories told as soon as possible. But he and what he and what he's saying he's he's saying that solo was a cluster a cluster f uh because it was a cluster f it cost a lot of money and now we don't want to ever do anything like that again so we're going to be judicious about what we do I, I, he he's being you know a company head he's telling you things in the most sanitized and inoffensive way as possible but he still gives you the information
0: yeah give me a second uh we are still developing star wars films but we're going to make sure when we make one is the right one so we're being very careful there yeah. he cited the box office failure of the 2018 spinoff movie solo A star wars story as the main reason why the studio's future output plan changed not only did the movie see disappointing results when it came to sales but a complicated production led to its budget suffering an, an exponential increase uh, plans for the current Star Wars films are unknown to the public. Uh, there is currently a December 19, 2025 release date set for an Untitled Projects. Um, Ryan Johnson is still under contract to Lucasfilm to develop an original trilogy of films, but he's been busy with Knives Out. Um, Iger also commented on the Marvel Cinematic Universe after the disappointing reception of Ant Man and the Lost Quantum Mania. Quote, I think we just have to look at what characters and stories we're mining. If you look at the trajectory of Marvel in the next five years, there will be a lot of newness. We're going to turn back to the Avengers franchise with a whole new set of Avengers, for example, CEO mentioned. Yeah.
1: He 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 seen the the (laughs) trepidation around Ant-Man. He's offering up a quick opinion, uh and saying and Basically saying, I, I I don't know if this was part of that quote or something else. He talks about uh, being more judicious. When I keep saying judicious, but being more uh, careful with sequels. Like, do we need as many sequels for the same character when we have so many? So, you know, he's just trying to get the house back in order. So, when it comes, so when it comes to Marvel, I think part of that is, yeah, they had those plans, but. Was the you know the 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 pure you know dearth of content that they were creating was that part of the previous regime's plan to to keep flooding the zone so they can have content for the streaming service and now I was saying no no step back and evaluate things a little bit better now we don't need everything like we had before Star Wars is like we need y'all back in the theaters but we need to make sure it's the right things and we learned that lesson from solo i mean all of that makes sense to me
0: well see the thing is like point the finger at the at the sequel trilogy which saw diminishing returns point point the finger at any number of other things like that movie and what happened on that set some of which i don't know if you saw or not but alden emmerich actually got Asked about it because he was on a press tour late, uh, recently for, uh, I forget what movie he was in, um, but he he was he was in a movie that made it big lazily and they put him on a press tour. And he was actually asked about his time as Solo and, and some of the things. Um, like, I don't know. You can't, to me, what happened on that set, and there's only about a handful of people who really know what happened happened for the same reason that a lot of the issues with the tr- sequel trilogy happened, which were they were flying by the seat of their pants to meet a release date. Um, you look at Lord and Miller's track record and you go, how could they have been fired from anything, much less fired from a Star Wars movie? But then you also take a step back and you look at, at it and you go, Lord and Miller's tone doesn't really match with the kind of comedy that George was doing the original trilogy or even the silly goofy off the wall stuff that was being done in this, in the prequel trilogy. So like maybe it was supposed to work. Maybe it didn't. The production budget skyrocketed on that movie because they changed directors in the middle of production. So are you literally telling me that you were so incompetent at completing a story and having confidence in, in choosing a director to carry out that vision, in a Star in Star Wars, that you are super paranoid, because that what that's what this comes down to. That but if you're gonna cite Solo, the reason Solo's budget ballooned was because halfway through production, you fired a fired two directors, and a writer, and you jettisoned their script. You brought in Ron Howard. You brought in a different writer. And you basically remade the movie a second time, which, of course, balloons, your basically doubles your budget. And then you're talking about a movie that would have to make a billion dollars in order to break even. And in a a Han Solo origin film that no one had ever asked for, wasn't going to make a billion dollars anyway. If that film's $150 million budgeted, yeah, that will make a ton of profit for the studio. If that film's a 300 million dollar budget? No. And if it approached 300 million, it was because of that you made you made a bad hire. And so maybe instead of like trying to decide about content and about stories and what stories they're telling, maybe you need to look at the creative process of how you choose your director so that you don't end up in a situation where you know, you're firing directors and having to rewrite scripts and reshoot movies. I mean, and that's a conversation to me that Iger has to have with Kathleen about what kind of directors they're hiring for their franchise, their their films going forward. But there's also a conversation to be had with the success of Andor and the success of The Mandalorian, although The Mandalorian seems to be a bit wandering in the third season, there's a case to be made that the future of star wars for the next for the next 3 to eight year the next 5 to 8 years is on disney plus and they're not going to want to hear that because that won't make them a billion dollars and if you maybe want to turn one of these shows into a movie you could certainly do that um you know community's getting ready to do five se- six seasons in a movie you c- you could do that with the mandalorian but like Maybe the future of the franchise is just on Disney Plus for a little while until I figure out the right stories to tell. But I don't think the issue is finding the right stories to tell. I think the issue is having enough faith and credit in, in your directors to pull it off.
1: Well, at this point, how long has it been since we had a Star Wars movie in the theater? Do
0: we count Rise of Skywalker as a Star Wars movie? Because I just, I just count it as a fan film. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't even know if your boy Chris Terrio can actually list that on his resume um, because it was just just a couple of bros eating pizza, drinking beer and writing stuff down on a whiteboard. Um, you know, um, that was twenty nineteen, December twenty nineteen.
1: I mean, he, he's got to put something on his resume because it's either that or uh, Justice League.
0: No, no, you just put Argo. I made Argo. I won an Academy Award. That is the end of my resume. I did nothing else in the intervening 10 years. That's all you do at your CV. Oh,
1: man. Uh, So. I mean, if I'm
0: that dude, I just break my NDA and just go on the con circuit. And I just I just go from city to city around the country, just telling my story to any fan base that will listen.
1: I don't know. I don't know if I want to mess with Disney NDAs and stuff, because I mean, it's not like he's working right now. But if he ever wants to again, he probably doesn't want to do that.
0: Oh, we we said the same thing about Josh Trank. Yet he he somehow got funding, somehow got funding and distribution for an Al Capone movie starring Tom Hardy.
1: That he did. Right. That he did.
0: So what what are your thoughts on the Star Wars thing to finish up?
1: I think um, it's been since 2019. Uh, I think they 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 have to put a movie in the theaters. It, it's Star Wars. I think TV is great for Star Wars, but I do think they need movies like, you know, every two to three years. Um, So, but they just, they need to know what they want to do with these movies. They can't just say, they got to have an idea. You want to get directors that are going to come in and do their own thing, but you got to have an idea of what they're doing, how you're fitting it in this tapestry of Star Wars. And with Star Wars being, you know, the the movies have primarily focused on one era uh, of the skywalkers. But Star Wars is so vast and you can do anything you want with it.
0: I am I'm, I'm sorry sir, the, the Legends canon is very vast. The Disney canon is not vast. The Disney canon only exists from a, from from uh Phantom Menace onward.
1: I mean true true for, as of right now, but I mean if they want to do anything else, they they very much can. They just have chosen not to so far. Uh, so I mean, and that's part of figuring out what you want to do. Uh, do you want to go expand it somewhere else, or do you just want to stick in this the same time frame? I I don't know. Do you want to maybe do the TV shows in different time frames and the movies back into this? You know, the familiar. Figure it out and put these movies out like one one every two to three years.
0: You do have the Old Republic, and you have the New Republic, and you have the High Republic, and you have all these different eras. You have the Jedi versus Sith wars. You have a uh, you have a bunch of video games and books that you can pull from in the Legends canon. And to some extent, the pro- biggest problem I have with the Mandalorian is that Filoni and Favreau have basically just. They, I don't mean to be crude, but they they put a Star Wars fandom circle jerk together on television. It's like there's so many cultural references inward towards their animated felonious animated stuff and toward the greater Star Wars Mythos at large and some of it they do really well. They've actually done some of the prequel nods really really well, like pod racing and bringing back the the ship from the uh, that Anakin used to blow up everything in in, in episode one. As Mando's new ship, and they've done some of these things that are that are nice nods, but there are also some very very deep cuts. I mean, if you'd ask, if you'd asked somebody on the street in the spring of twenty, in, in at this time in twenty twenty, before everything shut down, hey, do you know who Bill Catan is? <laughs> do you know who Ahsoka is? Do you know what Luke Skywalker was doing in the years in between uh Retarded Jedi and a New Hope and uh, and The Force Awakens, like, they wouldn't have been able to tell you. Uh, because not everybody is f- as familiar with what the Empire podcast folks called the blah blah. Um, some people are very proficient in the blah blah. Other people are not so proficient in the blah blah. But so far, the blah blah has been limited to television in the Mandalorian. Um, it would be interesting to see if they take the blah blah and turn it into something more, but you're right. There are different errors in the eras in the legends canon that you could pull from, and and maybe that is the way they go. I just don't know.
1: They have the <laughs> they just have to pick the right
0: one. I mean, to me, I just let the Mandalorian feed into a movie and let Favor direct the movie, and that's the end of the series. Or you just, start, or you just start doing a Mandalorian trilogy. It leads to a Mandalorian trilogy of movies, or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do that. Uh, doesn't seem like that's what Favreau wants to do. He wants to do... It seems like he wants to keep this going. I I don't know exactly what that means, but, you know, I'm that. All
0: right, Chad. You have... I'm now asking you to channel your inner Char, uh, Charles Hanagriff and Jimmy Ott and keep me on the straight and narrow on my Oscar predictions from the last episode. So, Chad, yeah. as we say in the... Uh, The Church of Sanchez, open up your blue book to page two and uh, let me know how things went. All
1: right. right. Uh, Let's see. Let me get both of these up. Okay. So which end you want to start from?
0: Uh, Let's start with the writing, which is where we started on the preview podcast.
1: Okay. So uh, get these up going. All right. All right. Uh, I will start. Well, I'll I'll, I'll tally it all up and then I already have it, but I'll wait till then. Okay, so for uh, the writing, the original screenplay, uh, your official pick was Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And the actual winner was the same, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. So that's one for you. Uh, We'll do uh, adaptive screenplay real quick, which you picked My Beloved Glass Onion. And unfortunately, that one did not take it, and we went with women talking. So you split, which was,
0: which was my secondary.
1: It was, I don't and know I was second.
0: very, and I was very very happy for Sarah Polly to get that Oscar and to get to give that wonderful speech, and for her peers to recognize her in that way.
1: Right. So now this is how the ballot went. This is not how the night went because the night went, uh, it was looking real good for you. Really, really early on. Uh, But we'll go to visual effects next. So, uh, Yeah, it was looking
0: really, really well for me. And then it looked really, really bleak to the point where people were posting that, uh, you know, that picture from the uh, Justice League premiere of, like, Jason Momoa stalking Henry Cavill. (laughs) Yeah. And and they, they put Henry Cavill was everything, everywhere, all at once, winning the best picture. And Momoa was captioned, all quiet on the Western Front.
1: Yeah, c- yeah, because there was a time where it was like, "Oh, all final restaurants really gonna do this? It's gonna wreck everything." Because it was winning everything, everything it was up for.
0: There was a si- a, si- a solid hour where it won like four Oscars in a row.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it, it, uh, I was watching it with my daughter, and there became a point when any time they were nominated for something, she and and they would win. She would sarcastically like roll her eyes and be like, "Oh, who saw that coming? Nobody saw that coming. There. Nobody could possibly think this movie was going to win anything." So she was sick of them. Like an hour into the show, that's how well uh, "All Quiet on the West Front" was doing, and then it just stopped.
0: It very much reminded me of. Uh, it very much reminded me of Grand Budapest. Grand Budapest going on a very long run with all the crafts categories, and then. When it got to acting and directing and Best Picture, it just fell off.
1: All right. So we'll do, let's do visual effects next. Uh, your pick, as well as the pick of the Oscars, was Avatar The Way of the Water. Uh, this is, we were like, if they have to win this one, of course they're going to win this one. And that's the way it went. Uh, next, we have Sound. Again, you and the Academy are, are on the same page with Top Gun Maverick winning for Sound um all right uh short live action short film live action your choice was the red suitcase the winner was an irish goodbye um and short film animated uh you and the academy both chose the boy the mole the fox and the horse uh which was also my daughter's choice because she saw that and i had no clue i've never seen it all right so two more in this column we have production design which went to all is quiet on the western front and the music for original song your choice was uh lift me up from uh, black panther of forever from by rihanna the winner was actually "Not Too Not Too" from rrr um again i've never seen this movie but out of all the ones that were nominated i know this yeah. movie, this song yeah that was the one the that was movie.
0: integral to the plot
1: yeah so I was I was surprised that it won, uh, but I was pleasantly surprised because that by the time it won, they'd already done the performance, and that was my first time see seeing and or hearing the song. And I was like, "Oh, this is kind of you know this kind of jam. I, I can get down with this." So
0: certainly think, is a banker.
1: Yeah, I, I was like, "Oh, this is cool." It almost makes me want to watch RRR until I, again. Re- recognize that that movie is almost three hours long, and I don't know if I can do it. It's three right.
0: hours of your life that you, that will be well spent, I promise
1: you I mean I you did I...
0: you did spend three hours of your life seeing the Blue People,
1: so you know you're right when you put it that way, I kind of owe it to uh, RRR, because i I, I know it's going to be a better movie than that All right <laughs> continuing on the list uh, so for like so right now, uh I think you've only missed one, two. Three, three in this column so far. Uh, All right. So on to musical score. Uh, This would make it four. Uh, You went with Banshees of Inn and Sharon, and uh, the Academy went with uh, the darling of of this part of the night, all quiet on the Western front. All right. Uh, Next up, we have hair and hairstyling and makeup. Uh, And you and the Academy both picked the whale, which I'll stop right here just for a second, because when they when they accepted the award, they they went out of the, the little announcement when they went up to the stage, went out of its way to say that they achieved some of the hair and makeup with the help of uh, graphic assistance like computer effects, which is just another way of saying visual effects. And that struck me as odd, because if that's the case. I I kind of would have shied away from giving them the Academy. Is it welfare. costume
0: design at that point, or is it uh, VFX?
1: Yeah, it's it, it. If you're, I mean, if you're touching, I mean, I understand some of the stuff to be touched up, but they made the point to say that to achieve the look they did, it was not just purely hair and makeup; it was visual effects as well. And what? I, and I don't know how much, but like when you say like. If you're saying you're like using visual effects as makeup, that to me make just seems like maybe you shouldn't win the Oscar for hair and makeup because you also you still need the assistance of visual effects. But that could just be me.
0: No, it's a very valid point and it's it's one that, you know, again, you have to you have to rec- recognize that the branches nominate and then the entire academy votes on it and I have a hard time believing the majority of the academy knew that the de- knew almost details of it. I'm sure they just assumed it was another fat suit, just like a uh, Oldman war for his Oscar win in, uh, in darkest hour a couple of years
1: ago. Oh uh, yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't question the Academy as a whole for voting for it. Because again, like you said, they don't know all the, they probably don't know all the details. It's the, just the, that the, the different, that this branch would have nominated it had they known. I don't know if they knew either, but if they had known, would they have done it? Just, you know, just something to think about.
0: But also, it's um, to think about the Banshees of Irishine has zero Oscars. Right. And the Whale has two.
1: Yes, yes. And, oh boy, uh, like I knew there was some heat for the Whale before this, but I, I, I was in the middle of reading one of the articles before we started. And I've heard other people talk about it, and boy, boy, um, it almost makes me want to see the movie, but then at the same time, it makes me not want to ever see it as well.
0: It, it is a it is a fat shaming movie. It okay. is it is very much a fat shaming. It, it is and, you have done this. You have done the eaten yourself into this hole. You have done this to yourself, and now your daughter hates you, and life is passing you by. So you have two options, you dumb son of a bitch. Either get up out of your chair. Start making progress toward it's it's basically a, an episode of my six hundred pound life as a film.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard that too, and that is that is awful. It, it almost like when you hear something like that bad, it almost makes it it. Well, for me, it makes me kind of want to see it just to see if people are telling me the truth, even though I know you are. But it's something about having to see it yourself. I'm not going to go out of my way to see this movie, but it, it 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 does kind of like poke at that that curiosity I have. All right. So we're going to go to uh International Feature Film next. Um and as we've said for a few years, if you're an International Feature Film nominated for an Oscar, you're probably going to win this category. And that is the case here. All Quiet on the Western Front uh wins the uh the Oscar and that was your pick as as well, so uh, again, still a good night for you so far. All right, film editing. We have again you and the Academy are lockstep. Everything, everywhere, all at once wins for film editing. Uh, I can't remember the placement in the show for this award, but I, it feels like this is around the time was like, okay, we're done, we're done fooling around. Now let's just go give them everything.
0: Yeah, it was very weird structurally with the the two big wins to start the night. Does that run them all quiet, and then you go back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, they went those first two, and then they all went nothing for, like, real time, like, almost two hours, and then they went everything. All right. So, uh, documentary short subject. Your pick was Stranger at the Gate, and the Academy's was The Elephant Whisperer. Uh, documentary feature film. Uh, we have, again, on the same accord, Naval, uh, no, no, involved in, I just butchered that but that's what it was Uh, so another matchup, now this one uh, the next one is directing, you went with the, the, I'm going to say the sentimental favorite uh, the guy that has all the skins on the wall but not as many Oscars Steven Spielberg for the Fablesman and he was beat out by the Daniels for everything everywhere, all at once uh, all right, so next up we have costume design. Uh, and again, lot except for, for you in the academy, Black Panther Wakanda forever. To note, Ruth Carter, the, the woman that won for costume design, uh, is the, the only, the only black woman to win two Oscars ever in the, uh, in, in the history of the Oscars. And that is awesome for her and absolutely pathetic for the academy. Just go ahead and say that. But she's one note. She because this is only happening within the last five years in the Academy Awards. Oh, this was Oscars number ninety five. Yeah,
0: it's it's not a good look for them. They didn't entirely fix their people of color thing
1: this year. So they it's they kind like they they did. It seems at one point they fixed their
0: Asian representation the last two years, last three. The, with, with parasite and everything everywhere all at once, you've you fixed that that portion of the the representation issue. Um, and with some stuff like Dallas Buyers Club and Milk, you've you've definitely uh, shown your your uh, appreciation for the gay community. Um, it's just the African American community that hasn't exactly been as fully embraced by uh, by people outside of Denzel Washington.
1: Right. Right. I and mean... it's. And by, like looking at this, like they there is more like representation ex- in, in, on, on this particular slate, except for black people. And like, you know, we can have those discussions later, but it's it seems like they try to address the issue and then they go ahead and like take four steps back. But uh I, I'm sure we'll talk about uh we'll talk about the the supporting actress after we're done with all this, but all right. uh, Cinematography again, you and the Academy locked up. And again, all quiet on the Western front has got another one. Uh, I think on, according to this list, that's their last one.
0: Yeah. They had four.
1: Yeah. So next we're going to uh, animated feature film. Again, you and the Academy locked up uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Uh, actress, actress in a supporting role. Uh, where all the kerfluffle was about over on the, the internet. Uh Jamie Lee Curse winning for everything everywhere all at once. And that is something that you and you picked this upset correctly. That is what happened. Uh this is when I thought that you were gonna have a have a good night. You really did. You really did. You
0: you well I talked to I don't I we had done our podcast before we had talked to Jim uh I had talked to Jim, but this was something he brought up. It was something that that we wanted to look at. um She had carried some favor with the Screen Actors Guild and with the Writers Guild, and when she won those two, oh, it, it pretty much it thrust me into this position of I think that that she's got the momentum, and I think that there's a lot of momentum behind the idea that she is a actors actor, and she's a legacy actor. And her parents were in the business. She's been in the business since she was 16. Like, she's never won an Academy Award. She up until this year not been nominated for an Academy Award. And who knows when you're going to ever get another opportunity to do this. And so, over the last three weeks of awards season, they really built up this momentum of, of team, you know, do it for, do it for Jamie. And uh, and it paid off on Oscar night.
1: Okay, well, all right. I'll, I'll do this right here very briefly. See, I understand. Yeah,
0: well, we'll let's let's talk about this because like apparently everybody and his brother thought it was gonna be uh uh Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm. And and I get that, and that had been the thinking up until the SAG and the DAG Awards. Um once like once you got to the SAG award going to and going to Jamie Lee Curtis. And that's the screen actors voting on the acting category. They're the largest branch of the Academy and they're the ones who nominate and they're the ones who just nominated pretty much the same group of actors for the SAG that are up for the Oscar. And they gave it to Jamie Lee Curtis. So like if they're the largest voting block and they just gave this woman a statue three weeks ago, what do you think is going to change? Like Once you start seeing Angela Bassett lose two or three awards in a row, you kind of have to shift your opinion. And I just was vastly surprised at how non-Oscar race watchers were like, oh, they gave it to the white girl, the old white woman, instead of the African-American woman who deserved to have her moment with Halle Berry.
1: So you you, you keep track of the awards more than I do. And so... I didn't know about like uh, the SAG of the DAG Awards. Here's, here's my whole thing with, with, with this whole supporting actress thing. Um, I have not seen all of the movies that were nominated. I've seen, but I've seen three of the five performances that were nominated. made. Um, so when it, like everybody that's like talked about Jamie Lee Curtis winning, they, they pretty much saying like, this is a, like, a career achievement award. she never been nominated. She'd been working so long and all that stuff. And I get that, but it, it, you, the people that are like, if you're going to, the people that defend the Oscars, they say that it's a, uh, um, um, Socrates. I just put that, but it's on the merits. You be, yeah. You, you can, you can believe that Angela Bassett shouldn't have won, uh, that award that's fine but i watched those three performances and when i watched uh black panther the first time i walked out saying angela bassett should be nominated for an oscar that was like one of my first thoughts i was like yeah same same
0: nominated yes yes there there was there was no reason why that performance should have been overlooked
1: yeah and i was like i mean i don't know who else is going to be nominated i've seen all the performances so i can at the very least, I can say she should be nominated. When I saw Everything Everywhere all at once, my thought was they should nominate Michelle Yeoh, but I don't think they will because of the type of movie this is, where it's placed in the calendar, and how everything else goes out of this. But her performance deserves it at the very least. and But she was the only one I thought about because I didn't think the movie had a chance at hell. When it seemed like when the, the wind started going and everything started picking up steam, I'm like, well, she should, and K.H. Uh, Kwan should, and if I had to pick anybody else out the movie, it would have been the other person nominated in the same character category, Stephanie Chu. Who,
0: who without, without it's a mother-daughter story, and without the, the daughter, the mother-daughter do- dynamic doesn't work.
1: Yeah, and even outside of, like, I mean, that's the way the story is structured. She gives a great Performance. I would have never in my life put Jamie Lee Curtis in this category. I thought she was great in the movie, but I don't think her I I don't think her performance was anywhere near Oscar worthy. I just thought it was a great performance in service of the movie, and that's it. So when it comes down to those three things, if so if you're going to say, okay, we need to, we, we, we want to recognize the merits, but we also want to give an, uh, a career award to somebody that's been working forever and, you know, never know when they could get back here and they probably deserve it. Well, yes, Jamie Lee Curtis has been there longer, but that same narrative fits for Angela Bassett as well. So, and so then you, so then you look at the performances and if you, and the, the fact that Stephanie Shue is in this category is the thing that really chaps all of this for me, because it's like, if you watch that, if you're going to give it to anybody out of that movie, it is not Jamie Lee Curtis. You're, if you're giving it to Jamie Lee Curtis, you're basically saying this is a pity Oscar because she is nowhere near the best person from her own movie in this category. If Stephanie, she wasn't in this category, I would still be mad because of the, the performance, because of the role Jamie Lee Curtis had. It was not a, it's not an Oscar-worthy performance at all. But if she was not, if Stephanie, she was not in there, I'd be like, okay, it's a pity, Oscar. I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. But you have somebody from the same movie that is clearly probably the second best, if not the best performance in the whole damn movie. So I just, so it just. My, it, thi-
0: my, yeah, my, my thing was at that point was basically that the case that I may, I could make for Jamie Lee Curtis is that. If you had pulled, I don't know, uh, uh, Judy Greer, if you'd put Judy Greer in that role as the IRS agent, I don't think it plays nearly as well as it does with Jamie. Because Jamie brings a nuance and a level of intrigue to that role in the multiple ways she has to play the role in the different universes, um, that another actor probably would have taken and just made one note villainy. She brings some com- some complexity and dynamicism to each individual performance and imbues each different universe's version of her character with a sense of lo- with a sense of uniqueness. Um the problem for me is that you're right, if you're gonna nominate the daughter, the daughter should be either splitting votes and therefore make room for Angela Bassett or she should be getting the majority of the votes because it's a mother daughter story. And without the daughter rising to the level of the great Michelle, yo, you don't have the movie that you have.
1: Right. And, and that, and so for me, a person that doesn't follow the wars like that, my whole thought was, well, you have these two people in this movie at the very least, they should be splitting the votes. And one of and if not one of them, is clearly the better performance. So it's so if it's going to come, if this is a Angela Bassett and somebody else award, the somebody else should be Stephanie Shu. Uh, of the performances I've seen. I again haven't seen the whale, haven't seen Banshees in the sharing. So if it came down, if it came down to Angela Bassett and everything everywhere all at once, then it should have been Stephanie Shu. And if Stephanie Shu had walked up there, No, but like you might have, you're gonna have some people complain that only saw Black Panther, and know that Angela Bassett had like Angela Bassett probably should have won her award 20 years ago. She didn't get it then, and it's taken her not 20, almost 30 years ago, and it's taken her almost 30 years to get back here. And just like never know if Jamie Lee Curtis can make it back there. It's the same thing for her. She's only been there. She's been there one other time. Lost came here. Loss, Azar again. If she comes up against will lose that one too. If she ever makes it back. So,
0: and I, did did you think when Haley went when uh, we all knew what was gonna happen when Harrison Ford walked out
1: to present Best Picture? Oh yeah.
0: Did you did you did you think a similar thing when Halle Berry walked out to present the the supporting actor and actress?
1: No, because um, when she walked out, I'm like, oh, they got her to come up because. Will can't be there. So, of course, they get Berry. it's Berry. It's they swapped out an Oscar-winning color, person of color for another Oscar-winning color, person of color. Uh, it did not even cross my mind that she would be presenting for... Uh, she couldn't be possibly presenting to Angela Bassett, and mostly because Callie won for Best Actress, Angela will be winning for Best Supporting, and they did the, these awards lumped together with Best Supporting best supporting actor. So uh, KQ Quan went first. So I was not even like, when they said that, none of that even crossed my mind. I, w- I was like focused on him and, 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 and the situation that why Halley was there in the first place.
0: And the awesome picture of the Temple of Doom reunion on set on the
1: Oscar stage. Yeah, it, w- it would have been a sweet moment, but and I'm not ups- like, I don't hate uh, Jamie Lee Curtis for winning the award. I just don't think she should have won it. And I think this anybody
0: is, Yeah, this but, is just your reminder that that the great Martin Scorsese won his Oscar for the departed, which is not nearly on the level of the of the King of the last king of comedy or uh the Goodfellas or uh, Gangs of New York or uh Taxi Driver or The last Passion of the Last Temptation of the Christ. You know, I just named off seven other films that are distinctly better than, than the departed. And the departed is the thing that won in the Academy. You know, so I mean it's 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 a timing and it's a politics thing. And that's the other part of this too. We don't know how hard Angela Bassett was campaigning and and what yeah. her campaign looked like and how much back it had. And,
1: and well, I mean, I have my my issue again if this is all on the merits, I don't think campaigning should be a thing outside of here, watch this, but uh, like glad handing and and really campaigning, uh, especially now that I know like the, because coming into this Oscar season, I was like, where did campaigning come from when it happened? And I inadvertently found out listening to something else that it it came about uh, because of the whole uh, saving private Ryan Shakespeare and Love thing where uh Weinstein basically invented campaigning to make sure his movie won over Spielberg. So I, I hate I hate campaigning because again, it's supposed to be on the merits, supposed to be peers evaluating your work and not peers like kissing each other's ass to 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 get ahead. So uh, I think they need to like revisit that. I think that is. If you're, if you're saying it's on the merits and the best people are going to win, then campaigning shouldn't have any part to do with it. And if you have a win like this that seems to reflect campaigning, it, 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 it doesn't, speak, doesn't speak highly of the value you're trying to portray with this whole ceremony.
0: All right, Chad, keep, uh, finish up with our, our review here.
1: All right. So we got three, four more awards. Uh, so we have uh, actress in a leading role. Then you your pick was Michelle Williams for the Fablesman, and the Academy picked uh uh oh Michelle Yo, everything everywhere all at once. I lost my spot for a minute. Uh, which was a wonderful moment on stage if I'm gonna say so. Uh next we have actor in a supporting role, and again, everything cleaning up because KQQan uh won, and that was your pick as well. Uh next is Actor in a leading role, and you pick this one on the nose again with Brendan Fraser winning for the whale, and finally best picture, and you got that one too, and it is again part of the everything, everywhere, all at once uh, uh, domination.
0: Did I did I pick Michelle Michelle Williams from the Philberman, Phil
1: Uh, yes, you did.
0: That seems very odd. It it uh,
1: does. <laughs> that, I. That, I don't have my paper with the, the, with the second choice on it, but I'm pretty sure, I don't remember what the second one was. I,
0: I will know. go back and listen to our podcast, but that that, that, that may be under technical review there. That, that does not. Okay,
1: okay. You can throw the flag on it. I'll, I'll review the notes as well, but I'm pretty sure, unless I highlighted the wrong thing, but I don't think I did. But it does seem like you would have picked Blanchett Fatar. but we can flag yeah. this one.
0: Yeah, I, I think I did, did Blanchette for tar, if anything. I mean, um,
1: your official total might be the same, but uh, uh, this choice might be under review.
0: And what was my official total, Chad, out of the 16 categories? Is it 16? Count them up.
1: Let's see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. 13 14 15 16 17 18 20 21 22 yeah 23 okay I was, okay right. okay so th- but you got 16 right out of 23
0: that's a pretty good night that might actually be a personal record
1: yeah yeah that w- that was a pretty good night uh really i mean really it was um a couple of the shorts um
0: well the the, the all quiet r- run really from yeah. having a
1: yeah, that when they started kicking in when that that all quiet run is when your picks went in the tank. But outside of that and like the short and document and short documentary, uh, you had a pretty good night.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a fun Oscar season, Chad, and it, it brought it was a diverse group of uh, it was a diverse group of films. And I'll be interested to see which films end up making it and continuing on in a cultural way out of this year. Ah, uh, because you know, Top Gun, Maverick, and got one Oscar, and Avatar got one Oscar, and they account for ninety-five percent of the box office. Uh, which everything, everywhere, all at once, finally passed one hundred million dollars at the domestic box office this week, <laughs> uh, is now made one one hundredth of the amount of money that that, that Avatar has. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if everything, everywhere last culturally the same way parasite has lasted or the way that uh, you know i'm hopeful the banshees keeps going or elvis keeps going so it, it'll be interesting uh and by the way uh chad uh jim has some thoughts on austin butler as a potential superman in uh, on our podcast it's coming so uh, so brace your with that uh, uh elvis turned superman uh But I I think it was a good group of films, and I think it 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 was a good ceremony. wasn't a great ceremony. There was definitely a time in there that felt like it may be the Fourth of July by the time we get done. But it ended up clocking in at two hours and fifty eight minutes. So, and the ratings were up.
1: Yeah, I I did see the ratings were up, and you know, in in general, I think the show was more uh, enjoyable for me. So I hope it was for for other people. and like i said i watched it with my daughter and she was she's not seen almost any of these movies uh but she was there invested in the night um uh, so you know th- there there can be some hope
0: there is indeed and all about do it for this week's episode of the movies of the brain podcast if you want to keep up with this podcast you can follow me on twitter i am at bcw tiger fan
1: i'm at the mystery
0: thank you very much and have a pleasant evening